Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Cast of Call, where we talk all things related to the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. I'm your co-host, Rachel, and joining me is the other half of my quartet, the one, the only, the DJ. <laughs> I get it, though. Like, have you ever you're, looked... you're becoming a proper noun, my friend. Have you ever looked through movies and wondered, like... Geez, we really have a lot of movies in the T section, and then you realize it's just because so many movies start with the. <laughs> no, <laughs> oh, that's, maybe that's just my weird brain. I support brain. you. I support your. I mean, because usually I drop the the when I'm like alphabetizing. Do you not drop the the? Uh, well, <laughs> funny you should say that because if I have them all in a f- file on my computer, they <laughs> the the still <laughs> stands. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that is true. Like if if the computer decides. To add the the. I was sorting through my Plex stuff the other day, like looking through like what duplicates I had and which ones were in like HD and 4K. And I like, holy crap, the T section is huge. Did you get the notification that Plex got hacked? Yeah, yeah. Plex is hacked. If you guys are out there and you're a Plex user, make sure you update your password. But it was the good kind of hack where like stuff got exposed, but they did everything right. So it's just like precautionary change your password as opposed to like, Mm -hmm. and now uh, your social security number is um, on the black market sites and we're going to send you a year free of, uh, you know, life lock or something like that. It's like, yep. Great. Yeah. I definitely have had that thing where I had, they're like, Google yourself, like, or look at your, this thing to see if you're on there. And I was on there and I was like, (laughs) ah, there's a, uh, I think there's a website. It's still run by uh, Krebsky. That's called, uh, have I been pwned? That's the one. And you just like put your email in and it's like, yep, you've been pwned. I think that's the one. I think I did put my thing in there. Let's see here. I'm going to put it in right now. Uh, Normally this podcast doesn't dive deep into the security realm, but have I been pwned is just like a fun. Okay. So it says pwned and nine data breaches and no, and found no pastes subscribe to search sensitive breaches. So I don't know what that means. Uh, That would be like if a full data dump of your, um, um, social security number and like your date of birth and your like living address. Mostly that means you just got dumped with like passwords and uh, email links. Gotcha. So I just need to go into all of these. Some of these I'm like, what even are they? And change my passwords. It's super care. weird when you find out that you like had a standing account <laughs> at Angel Fire for 27 years. Yeah. like, there's <laughs> And then some... it's like, and they've been hacked. It's like, are they thing anymore? Like, is that even real? Like, what's going on here? Like, I got pwned on Gravatar. What the? <laughs> Evite. I don't even know what Gravatar <laughs> is. Me so neither. Like, like, right. Let's you... see here. Anything else? Yeah. I guess I'm going to have to do some work on this. Last FM. What the hell? Oh, uh, Last FM. Wasn't that the parent company of, like, one of the streaming audio services before it turned into, like, or am I wrong? I thought it was, like pre-spotify and then spotify bought it or iHeartRadio and iHeartRadio bought it i don't know i guess nah, i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to track that shit down <laughs> oh well what are you gonna do welcome to 2022 we're all pwned <laughs> <sighs> yeah anyway so uh plan straight to start to a show is security checks I mean, you and I both have been up since really, really early today. So we're this is going to be a wild episode, I suspect. 
I feel like it's 10 o'clock at night, but it is only 4.20 in the, 4.20 in the afternoon. Ah, uh, um, Eli. Making, <laughs> making the Eli jokes. Uh, all right. Plan for this episode. We're going to kick off the show with an in-depth conversation of Wolves of the Kala Part 2 Telling Tales Chapter 5, The Tale of Grey Dick. Um, an ironic title. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and then we're going to close out the show with our listener question. But before we get into that, DJ, will you please let our listeners and any listener, new listeners know what our spoiler policy is? Well, like a gray dick falling to the floor, we will oh make a line in the sand to let you know when the plate slashes through to the other side <laughs> of our warning spoiler zones. <laughs> that was a good one. That was a really good one. <laughs> All right, where did we last leave off with our our good friends, the Cotet? Uh, so we were diving deep into um, the history of Mr. Callahan and yes. uh, finding out about all that business. And Jake is like staying with another family, and like everybody kind of got spread to the wind to stay with families after the big dance. Um, and we we actually find out, and like this is jumping a little bit ahead, but like Roland wanted to spread them around because time is short, so everybody gets a little experience with each of them to kind of feel them out and realize that they are in fact gunslingers and from a different way in place and so on. And so we come back to uh, Roland, who is uh, joining up with the family that Jake was staying with, and in this little like moment at the beginning, we get this. This is actually like very Nebraska feeling to me. Mm, yeah, so, I can see that. Yeah. So in the old days, um, farmers, a lot of times when cigarettes went to like $2 a pack, which is now like sounds uh, outlandish, I, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, people used to buy those like clippy things where you like put all your stuff into it and you squeeze it and it kicks out like a hand rolled cigarette. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And like they're there and, you know, uh, he's basically like hand rolling cigarettes in the twilight of this like farm-esque scene chatting with the natives by the barn and like rolling the cigarettes and enjoying this special paper that um, – I forget what her name is. Um, from Yeah, yeah. Gave her – gave him before he left Callahan's church and like it's sort of this like – very pastoral Nebraska feel. It, mm-hmm. Like when I when I read through this, I almost like could smell that farmland scent again. And yeah. like it, it's just so so Midwest. I mean, <laughs> even the paper she's rolling with are made from corn silks. That like what yeah, is yeah, more exactly. Nebraska than that? <laughs> Did you get total whiplash when this cha- this chapter started? Like I was like, wait, wait, wait. We were just in the in the church looking at black 13 i was very confused for a second i had to go like go back and make sure i hadn't accidentally skipped a chapter no no i i mean i yes i did <laughs> but, but i mean like as soon as i realized like oh no okay i see what's going on and this is like yeah. sort of stephen king's normal jump yeah um, yeah yeah and and so while roland's like you almost like picture like a 1940s movie he's like got the like uh hand rolled cigarette on his lips and like it's yeah. like hanging down to the side and he's like yep and then, like, the farmer's presenting him with these old guns, and Roland's, like, looking at the guns, reviewing them. He's uh, like, well, this one's probably the the finest uh, gun of this type I've seen since I've left, you know, uh, home. But uh, this other one, you know, it might be better to plant it and see if a better gun grows out of it. Damn. And it's like, oh, shoot. Well, that, and, and that, like, turns out to be the pride 
of yeah. his collection because like his family, like he was the son that was chosen to pass on this gun to him. And so it turns into this sort of like interesting thing. And, and so after they're done, like reviewing the guns, um, we kind of like camera pans and they kind of walk over to where the kids are hanging out. And Jake and his friend have basically like piled up some hay in the barn, which this is also something I've done many times in my years. And, and really? like I could almost like smell the hay when they started talking about it because like jumping out of the hayloft into the into the hay pile was like a very common thing to do when I grew up. Really? Yep. God, like our childhoods were very different. I mean, <laughs> this is my yeah. This is I. I don't know if I call it childhood like my younger days when okay. i mm-hmm. but but regardless um uh working on the farm you would um you would have like pigeons that infested the top part of the barn and then like the hay would be up there the hay bales that you were saving for you know whatever and then like down below they would let the kids like pile hay up from like either broken hay bales that the strings came off of or what have you and like you could swing into them with like a rope or you could jump into them in the case of our barn it had like I'm trying to think of how to describe this. So a regular barn is a normal story on the main floor, but on the second floor, it's generally like three or four stories. And the reason is, is because as you pile the hay up, you'll, if you ever look at a barn, you'll see like swing doors that are like go up to nowhere. Yeah. And the reason the swing doors are there is because as you pile the hay up from the bottom, you get to a point where you can't pile it up anymore. And so you have to bring the hay up with a lift and then put it on top of the piles um, through those swing doors that are on the front. Cool. So usually that swing door has like a platform and the platform you could jump into either the hay loft or if there's a opening between the bottom part of the barn and the top part of the barn, you can jump into that. And so in this case, this is more of a traditional like half split second level barn. Mm-hmm. Where they're climbing up the to the hayloft and then swinging off of the hayloft into a pile of hay. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, it does. I just uh, I was trying to imagine how you don't just like break your neck doing this, but I, I guess it's a thing. Uh, the main issue is actually like so hay is piled haphazardly and usually with like um, a hay fork. Oh God! And so. The main issue with barn jumping is that, like, you have to trust that someone else is smart enough not to have left anything um, substantial in the hay pile or under Jesus, the hay pile. Horrifying. Yeah, and so, like, when he's talking about breaking legs and stuff, it's like because, like, there's a I don't know, someone had a tractor that broke down and they just like left it in the corner. It's sort of like if you ever blindly jumped into a river. <laughs> And like you didn't realize that that one section has a giant rock that almost oh, comes to the surface, and it's just, just like horrifying. <laughs> oh my god, I'm actually like I'm cringing. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, um, th- this strays a little bit far from the book, so I will bring myself back into this. But basically, the boys have like hung a rope um, from the rafters of this barn. It's a, a half hayloft barn, so they've got hay piled up in that second section. Um, there's either a ladder tipped towards that section or an entrance that's in the back of the hayloft, um, probably near where like the cows are uh, kept or the other livestock are kept in like smaller pens as you walk through the middle. Um, and they're swinging off of that. Andy the robot's like hanging out next to it, and he's there to like catch him if something goes wrong. And the first thing we find out is that like basically Jake is like worn off on his buddy and as his buddy is jumping, he's like saying stuff that 
would have never come out of his mouth right. previous to this experience. Um, and, you know, like Roland's there with the adult of uh, the adults and they're like, yeah, you know, he's really worn off on him. It's amazing how fast kids become friends. And it's sort of this weird moment where like he, he's um, grumpy about it, but also like happy about it at the same time because it's like man you your kid has filled my kid's brain or that kid's brain with a bunch of stuff that he, you know maybe shouldn't know about or shouldn't be talking about or, or whatever right 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 but they're like getting along so well it, i mean as we come to understand he doesn't necessarily support what the gunslingers are doing here and here this kid is, is like totally falling into the you know the the romance of of this mythology that you know, they've all heard that now this person who was like actually a human representative, like it's like a fairy tale came true. And so for him, he's like, you know, I don't think we should do this. And this, these are getting into these kids heads. You know, this, this fairy tale is real. Yeah. And there's actually a moment here where um, Eisenhart's like, I haven't decided yet, you know, like about whether or not like this is a good thing or a bad thing. Um, but it's it's sort of this whole thing, and I've probably spent longer time on it than I have any other um, world building in this because it just is so familiar to me as like a person from the Midwest, like hearing this description and seeing this description, like literally could almost smell like all of the things that were going on in this farm uh, and, and like visualize it to a T. And it's like mm-hmm. it, it, Stephen King did a really good job of pretending to have been from the Midwest. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this whole scene with, with Jake and Benny is really sweet and kind of undark tower like to have this moment where people are playful um, feels like a rarity. And it, it feels it, it feels fragile because we know that there's only 23 days left the section opens with roland talking about how there's only 23 days left and even though in the background there's this kind of like very human very innocent thing very childlike wondrous thing happening all he can think in this moment is how short time is and how you know Susanna could have that baby at any minute maybe at the worst minute possible which would be for the wolves to come like mm-hmm. he he cannot be present in this moment because he's like so you know preoccupied with what's to come uh and and I, it kind of bookends what happens at the end of this chapter where he talks about feeling so incredibly alone because he's disconnected from his quartet because of like trust issues that he has as you know and holding on to these secrets he should these are the people he should be able to tell anything to but he's disconnected and stop trusting them and we start off in this place of him being like actually isolated. yeah yeah he's he's very much isolated from what's happening with Jake right now yeah. Yeah. And then so part of that, like they're watching the kids and, and Roland starts to realize that she's like sort of holding something under her right. uh, her shirt. Her hand kind of stays there as she's like talking to him and explaining to him. And like while Roland's aware, he's not really like pressing on it. And then finally, the conversation sort of leads into this moment where it's like, um, you know, you dance the dance. So yeah. obviously you're familiar with the story, right? And Roland's like, yeah. And then we jump into the story. And, like, there, there's actually a moment, too, where Roland's like, 
I should make sure and tell that to the gang when we get a chance. <laughs> yeah, we meet Margaret, who is super awesome right from the jump. You know, like you get this idea that she's kind of a badass. We don't even before we see the weapon, the way that she's kind of like having this conversation with her husband, you know, like she comes across as being very smart and capable. Um, I mean, she shows a lot of respect for her husband because like, as we know, the gender politics not great in mid-world but there is this sense of mutual respect between the two of them you know we learn that eisenhart is does not want to sign on but unlike someone like telford roland has a lot of respect for him because you he kind of you can see his reasoning is less self-interested and more coming from the place of like they are a community of survivors like the situation is terrible but they no matter what happens these people abide and they survive and that in and of itself is really important and and i think that's a big part of why roland respects him and i think that's a big part of why you know he's partnered with someone who we come to discover is pretty awesome but like even in her sort of interactions with roland or with uh with her husband at this point like he's kind of pressing for logic and she's she's pointing out that like sometimes logic is not the right path to make a decision like sometimes emotion has to come into it and she she alludes to the kids jumping from the barn like sometimes you have to look without or leap without looking in order to to make the right choice as opposed to just to making the safer or logical choice yeah now correct me if this is out of order because um i forget where this like comes in but there's a moment where she explains that while they have all their kids alive, they lost everything. Yeah. I mean, it comes a little bit later, but I mean, that's the thing is like we we are introduced to her and then we start to get a little bit of the backstory with these two characters. Mm -hmm. And like there is a really valid character motivation. And there's like you can see why he is very logical about this and wanting to like protect. But mm -hmm. you can see why she as someone who has a very different sort of sensibility and, you know, attitude since she's like the hunter as we'll get into um would be very angry about the situation and that anger is like an impetus for change and like a willingness to to risk something because she's already lost it all essentially yeah yeah and and so we find out that like that she's basically holding a four special plate <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do we want to get into the story of Grey Dick before? Yeah, we, we might as well. Like, let's yeah. jump into that because basically, this chapter has like a chop off moment where we like completely jump into sort of a nursery rhyme story sort mm -hmm. of thing, and then like back again and realize that there's like a the sisters are all based on this like uh, original woman who did this one very important thing. Uh, so we jump to the story and the story is the story of gray dick mm -hmm. and uh so gray dick um apparently uh killed uh, this lady's father um i forget what his name was his name um, was gray dick um but he and he was a famous no no what was the name of his for her father though um because you got uh, lady oriza which is the actual lady we're talking about but gray dick killed the most wily and smart baron or whatever um that was her father yeah was it let's see here to a fast party and wait in um it's a part where he's sort of like thinking to himself yeah i know it's a it's a very subtle quick drop and then it like bounces out of it i'm gonna keep looking you keep going and i will get the name for you oh no problem um so 
re- regardless, uh, basically what ends up happening is um, oh, her father. I found it. It's oh, Lord Grenfell. Lord Grenfell. Okay, and the reason I, the only reason I made you go look that up is because does that does that relate to anything we should hook to? Because I, I feel like it does, but I don't um, know. I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, like it sounds a little bit like like Grendel, the mother of. of like the monster in Beowulf, but okay. that's as close as I got. So two or one question mainly I wanted to ask you, like, so we had that like short story bit with the, um, with the healing nurses. Are those sisters in any way related to, uh, Ariza's sisters or is that a the different sister of Eluria? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, I mean, not that I know of. Okay. Okay. That's all I wanted to check in on. Okay. So <laughs> now that we've had that side, Side stroll. Um, basically, what we have is um, her father gets killed by Grey Dick, who like cleverly outsmarts him, and she wants to request a meeting with him. And Grey Dick, being the smart, clever guy that he is, is like, "I'm not gonna go to a meeting with you. You might have a knife up your sleeve, and if you don't have a knife up your sleeve, I might have a knife up my sleeve. Right. And no matter what, this is gonna go sideways. And so uh, she's like, "Well, maybe we just go naked." And he's like, ooh, la, la. Ooh, boner town. <laughs> yep, boner town. And, like, gray dick, and then that's kind of funny. Um, uh, and then, so we find out that she is a very fit and athletic and beautiful lady. And um, she has been practicing with a dinner plate that has been precisely made to have a razor-sharp edge on one side and to be used as a weapon. But because it's a dinner plate, when gray dick sends his men to inspect the dining area – they do not find anything remotely resembling a weapon. They just find, you know, a dinner setting on the table. Mm-hmm. And there's multiple versions of this story apparently told throughout uh, the the Kala. But uh, in this particular case, he sits down for a meal with her, like gets very excited and staring at her naked bits. And she stands up and throws the plate at him. It slices his head off, sends it flying, and... <laughs> Stephen King's description is like first his little head wilted and then his whole gray dick fell down. <laughs> yes. Oh, let me I have there's some great quotes in here. First of all, I love I love the toast that she gives is so yes, good. Yes. So she says, let's see here. She says, oops, may your first day in hell be 10,000 years and may every day be longer. Or, or yeah, it's like, like and may it be the shortest. Yeah. And then there's the, I mean, this is, I assume why it's called gray dick is the description of him dying. Right. So it says um, a moment after she flung the plate on its slightly rising course, her arm was still outstretched, her first finger and cocked thumb pointing at her father's assassin. Grey Dick's head flew out through the open door and into the foyer behind him. For a moment longer, Grey Dick's body stood there with its penis pointing at her at like an accusing finger. <laughs> then the dick shriveled and the dick behind it crashed forward onto the huge roast of beef and mountain of herbed rice. That is so great! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like some Game of Thrones stuff here. I mean, because you know that Stephen King is not going to write a chapter called The Tale of Grey Dick and not have like a great dick joke in there. Just, <laughs> he is incapable of not, of not doing that. And and honestly, solid joke. Very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what we come to find out is that uh, basically um, Lady Ariza, the rice dance and so on, is celebrated throughout uh, the Kalas as like a historic figure slash sort of like an inspiration to women everywhere 
as yeah. like a brave woman. We also get like a weird little hint that um, uh, Maid Miriam was like her second. Yeah, I'm like, is that supposed to be like the Maid Marian we know? I don't know, but Stephen King definitely makes a point to say like, and she went on to have many of adventures of her own. Yes, yeah, so I'm wondering if that's Maid Marian. It feels and- like it, and like mm-hmm. that would also like. Um, the court and like the eld and like all of this like line of Arthur and business would make sense from that category to just drop her in casually as like part of the story. Yeah, totally. I mean, we know that they, he loves a literary illusion, and this one's like maybe a slightly more subtle one, but I think definitely it's meant to be. Yeah, and and so we cut back and find out that um, this uh, lady arises like sort of spawn, maybe not a cult per se, but like a meeting of women who gather to do this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And like they practice their plate throwing. They, they play cards. They like host dinners. They do weddings for the Kala occasionally. Um, They do all of these events. It's sort of like Shriners, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, yeah, definitely that kind of thing. Like what the, the female equivalent of that. So like, what is the female equivalent to that? Uh, That's why I mean, I'm like, struggling. I'm thinking, uh, the ones that I know are like younger, like Eastern Star or. Uh, well, Joe. isn't there like a um, what's the quilting club called? It's like the Rotary Club. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's women specifically. Women's. Yeah, I guess I don't know if the Rotary Club's women only or not. Um. So there's there is a Freemasonry for women. What? Women's groups related to the Freemasons for dummies. The Order of the Eastern Star. I was right. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah. All yeah, so my that... conspiracy podcasts are paying off. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know. Like, I I just thought that was like a, a crazy cult thing. I didn't realize that was like just a normal get-together thing. So, uh... I mean, a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, right? right? I mean, like, at least let's hope so. It's more interesting that way. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the poor participants. Ugh. Well, yeah, I guess that's true. Although I feel like that's a fairly benign kind of, it's more of like a sorority, right? Yeah, fair, fair. But there um, is like a religiosity to the Masons in general, so I assume. Well, I, yeah, I will not devolve into my uh, Masons bit, so let's, let's back up well, here. You know what? Let's save it for the extended episode. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> so, so basically we find out that she has been kind of practicing this, um, she is a owner of a for special plate, and like this plate is the same thing. She lets Roland uh, look at it, and there's a moment where like Roland's like, "Do you need to hold my gun while I look at this?" And she's like, "No. Um, if uh, if uh, Eisenhart trusts you, then I trust you." And so she lets him look at the plate, and Roland like for a moment experiences excitement, and it's. It's described mm-hmm. as an excitement he hasn't experienced in a long time. Like, as a man familiar with lots of weapons, this is the first time in many years that a new weapon has surprised yep. him in a way that he hadn't expected before. And before we talk about that part, let's go back and, and point out that um, that when he's talking to Eisenhower, Eisenhower's like, yeah, we have the bow and the bow. And my understanding of these two is that one is just a regular bow and arrow, mm-hmm. and the ba is like an auto shoot. Um, uh, what do you call that when you just pull it crossbow? back and it locks? Yeah, crossbow. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so <laughs> Roland is like super disappointed, and like there's a moment where Stephen King describes him as like basically um, 
heart fell uh, fallen that like this is the weapon he will end up having yeah. to deal with because yeah. it's not good for more than like 20 feet mm-hmm. and if there's any kind of gust of winds like even less than that um and so they're basically good with the worst weapon <laughs> possible yeah. which means that like they'll have to be close up to do any damage uh and this plate like represents a complete shift in that and, and there's a funny moment where like she's like well you know, we don't use this for hunting because that's men's work and they're already good enough with their boss hunting. And mm-hmm. like Roland's like, yeah, if they're good enough with that, then yeah. you don't have to know how to do this, huh? <laughs> I mean, Margaret knows how to play the game. Like not to offend. I mean, we know, like I said, the gender politics, not great in Midworld. And like, you know, doesn't want to be insulting to her husband. But like, we all know the score here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and there's actually a moment here, too, where um, Roland's like, where is this made? And he's, like, a, a looking at the plate. It's apparently, like, um, Andy the robot says it's made out of titanium. And he is like, well, where? And they, they tell him it's, like, made in this factory and the, the women run the factory. And, like, uh, Eisenhardt's like, yeah, it's probably just a matter of uh, wh- someone pushing a button, I would suspect. Jesus. And Screw like you, Eisenhart. And like uh, his wife has to be like, you know, po- politically friendly and be like, yeah, yeah, that's quite possible. <laughs> All right. With his fragile, fragile ego. Yeah. And there's there's a moment, too, where like um, he's like, do I tell you how to run your kitchen? And she's like, yeah, about four days a week you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like Margaret. Margaret is sassy. And-, and I think this goes back to this story with Lady Oriza is that there is a pattern of miss like um uh, underestimating the women in this area and and like their success lies in looking outside the box for solutions you know that's i think the wolves obviously probably know about these these orisa plates but they don't would never guess that women would arm themselves and fight back you know what i mean so if they're successful in this endeavor it's looking like a big part of that is going to have to do with these women you know yeah. So that's that is really cool. And um, also during this like whole reveal here, and I don't want to forget about this, um, we find out that basically they were lucky enough to have all of their children um yes. during the first couple of weeks after the wolves had come last, mm-hmm. which means that all of their twins made it out alive. But because they made it out alive, they all immediately moved far, far away to safe places where the wolves don't come. Which means mm-hmm. that, in essence, they have lost the, all of their children, not just part yep. of their children, because their yep. children have been, like, scattered to the wind. And while they do occasionally come back to visit, they stay pretty far away. And so they're, they're like, absent from their lives in this way that's different from the rest of the folks in the Kala. Yeah. Th- there's also this moment, too, and I don't want to forget about this, where uh, Roland asks if Eisenhart was a, a twin. Mm-hmm. And, like... The description Stephen King gives for Eisenhardt is that, like, it's a man with a smile on his face. I have the quote because I thought it was so good. It was so good, yeah. Eisenhardt smiled easily and often and did so now beneath his great graying bush of a mustache. But it was painful. The smile of a man who doesn't want you to know he's bleeding somewhere inside his clothes. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's almost this, like, 
every action movie's um, midsection where the buddy dies mm-hmm. and he's like smiling and then he's like, how bad is it? Oh, it's not that bad. And like finally when he falls down, they open his shirt up and he's like, exactly. All my guts are on the ground. Sorry about that, Fred. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like the down. And that's the thing is what's really great about this section is y- even the quote unquote lucky people in this community still are touched by the tragedy of the dynamic that they live in, whether it is a twin losing their twin or getting lucky and having all of their children be born in a period of time where they won't lose them, but yeah. knowing that their grandchildren will be lost. And I think that really underscores exactly kind of the the tragic dynamic of of this situation with the wolves that you are it is inescapable to be touched by by this like you know violation of their community and so and in these moments we see again that margaret is incredibly angry and that she kind of represents the emotion versus logic part of of this this decision that the community has to make that like coming from it from a place of logic is not going to be enough like you have to include the human element and what it means for the continuance of this community like even if they just keep doing this like forever unless they fight back every single person that even though they're surviving every single person will be touched by this trauma yep yeah um, and then the one last thing I wanted to to touch on that is kind of like uh, a Roland moment as well before we, we get into the plate throwing business is that Roland recognizes right away that she has like a warrior instinct to her mm-hmm. that um, that he is like or not warrior I guess hunter instinct I hunter, think is, yeah. yeah yeah hunter instinct like he's, she's term. not a gunslinger but he's happy to take a hunter he's yeah like, he, he's like killer. I would take a bunch of hunters in this situation right now that because yeah. that's better than like these guys with boss yeah exactly exactly um and that there are a ha- what's interesting is like that this community extends you know up and down this coast that there is just kind of the society of women that in part what they do is women's work you know like they cook and they cater and they clean and they do all of these things that are incredibly gendered. But then there's something very subversive and like quietly feminist about how they all get together and throw these weapons as well. Like, I don't know. I, I've It's seen... even to the point where when she hands him the, the uh, plate, she's like, watch how you handle it or you'll be even shorter on fingers than you already are and yeah. you need all you can get. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's Margaret is sassy. I am such a Margaret fan. I really hope she comes through this this fight because I am Team Margaret all the way. <laughs> so Roland like turned around and like uh, kind of excited is like, all right. Um, and he walks over. He heads to the bar and he finds like a stuffy guy. And he like goes through, there's a radish pile and a potato file. And like, finally he's like, I'm going to put a potato on the top of this stuffy guy. And the stuffy guy like now looks like a weird tiny head guy. And there's like a weird mention of like a tiny head from the fair that, that is like a a thing that apparently everybody knows about that I'm not aware of. Yeah. I don't know. I tried to like look it up. I didn't find anything specific. So um, I don't know if you guys know about tiny head guy, then like, let us know. Uh, only thing I really came up with is like the shrunken heads from Beetlejuice. 
<laughs> and like, well, that's funny. It's not probably necessarily correct. No. <laughs> uh, and and so uh, she's actually like a little bit nervous, but also like you can feel her pride. Um, at the moment, like she's like, you should send the kids away. They don't need to see this. And like Eisenhower's like, no, they can stay. And like uh, the farmhands can stay. And like everybody's sort of like excited. And while she like verbally says she would like people to be sent away, she's also kind of excited to show her skills off, but also super nervous because she's going to be showing her skills off in front of such a, um, uh, a warrior-esque esteemed. person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, esteemed. I mean, well, like I said, someone who has just walked out of the pages of a fairy tale as yep. far as they're concerned. Like imagine Zeus shows up and he's like, all right, go, you know. Do whatever you do, DJ. Like, <laughs> go draw a do do a coaster painting. I'm watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's the the fun part is like, um, she's like, well, I could do that throw normally, but not with this guy looking over my shoulder. Like, this is putting a lot of stress on me, and you can like see that her blood's getting a little bit heated by this. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, like, Roland sets the potato on there. She's further than she feels comfortable being. And she's able to perfectly slice the potato in half from a distance throwing it. And there's this moment where, like, after she's thrown it and done this pretty tricky and very precise move, um, Roland walks over to pull the plate out of where it stuck to the side of the barn. And, like, he can't get it on his first pull. He has to actually, like, work it out of the barn back and forth before he finally gets it out of the mm-hmm. barn. And And that kind of tells you, like... A, this is a super sharp object, but B, it was thrown with precision and strength, not just precision. Yeah. So um, that's definitely a, a moment where he's like, oh, yeah. How many how many other women got this mad skill? Can you can you tell me about that? Like, do you practice with anyone? And then, like, she starts naming <laughs> off folks like, well, so-and-so is the best. But uh, what's-her-name is, like, also pretty good. And, like, then there's some other ones that aren't quite as good as me. But uh, I'm up there, you know? Mm-hmm. And this reveal, like, you can almost see Roland, like, formulating a plan as this is, like, laying out for him. Now, you got yeah. two stars here. What did, what did I skip before I continue flying forward? Um, I think uh, there is – I think we should talk about the plate a little bit. I think oh, yeah, it's yeah. – for instance – It whistles? He, has to whistle? whistles. But also before we find out about the whistle, which is, is cool because it made me think of – uh, have you ever heard those like death whistles? I was thinking of uh, remember uh, scanners, or is it screamers? Yeah. Screamers, I think it's screamers. He, where they're yeah, like screamers underground, yeah. and as they're coming at you, they're like, and then they just kill you. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one too. But there's like these, um, they're like Aztec death whistles. Okay, and have you ever heard one? Uh, no. They're okay. I will. I'm not going to Aztecs a little bit before my time. <laughs> I know, but you're an you're someone who knows a lot, a little bit about a lot of shit. Like you, you, it's rare to be like, have you heard of this? And you're like, no. Well, I know the Aztec like had a frisbee type of game that involved like head chopping off at the end. Of oh, the in lost. the ball courts. Yeah, yeah, in the ball courts. But yeah. um, as far as like the um, the musical stuff that went along with that, not familiar with it. I know there are several weapons that were designed specifically to make an ominous noise before they launch or when they launch. Mm-hmm. Um, the Aborigines in Australia, for example, have a uh, um, a double rope. Mm-hmm. Um, I f- forget what the name of it is off the top of my head. But it, like, makes this very ominous, like, before they release it. And when it flies forward, it's, like, three rocks 
uh, attached to the end of three ropes that like wrap around the person and also smash rocks into them at speed. And so it's not uncommon to have like a sort of musical slash murderous um, item in your collection. All right. I'm going to send you, I found just the audio of one. It'll take you like one second. Okay. So this is a death whistle that they use like in war scenarios to intimidate. And um, I find it intimidating, especially if you heard a bunch of these. Is this 3D printed? <laughs> yeah. So, like, that's the uh, thing. Every I one of them of. sounds like the uh, Wilhelm scream. A little bit. But imagine, like, hundreds of those. Like, you're in the jungle and you hear that shit. Oh, that is terrifying. So, I, I do like this idea of the plates having this whistle on it because it's going to be, if you think about the battle, you know what I mean? You're going to hear these things going mm-hmm. through the air and it's like. I don't know. It's just really cool. But the other thing is the fact that it is a for special plate. It's a blue and white plate, just like the one that um, Susanna cr- cracked as a child when she was still dead a walker. Yep. Uh, and I don't I'm not saying it's the same thing, but it's one of these sort of like rhyming or coincidental moments that are constantly coming up in this book. Like coincidence is a major theme or the idea that coincidence what looks like coincidence is design is a major theme in this book. So I think it's worthy of note. Um, so let me ask you this here. about the plates. Cause like, um, that's why I mentioned the four special. And this is one of the things I was going to circle back around to is because Susanna like broke the first special plate. Does that mean that like, she is sort of the opposite of these lady Ariza folks where like, they're fighting the good fight, but she may not be necessarily fighting the good fight, or at least like hmm. that is like a crack, a crack representation of her personality that like having that is like the bad part of Susanna as opposed to just so like more of a also a metaphor, I suppose, as opposed to just like a coincidence. Yeah, I don't I don't I didn't take it that far down the road. That's not to say that it isn't the case, but I do think the timing is really suspect, right? Mm-hmm. The first special place ha- plate initial the f- original one happened when she was like broken with Detta and here she is again no longer whole, like there's a second inside yep. of her and once again she's like being presented with this for special plate i don't know it's just it's an interesting it's something i feel like we should keep an eye on we should pay attention to the fact that you know this feels like a pretty important detail the other thing is is it has a a design on it that stands like it's a z and an n and it stands for like xi and n which means eternity and now oh really yeah any any idea why it would with that like if there's i i don't totally understand the significance of it but it felt like stephen king like underlined it and typically that means something so i didn't know if you had any thoughts about that. i got nothing i i remember the description of it like two corn stalks that come together that shows you where to put your hand so that you don't accidentally slice your fingers mm-hmm. off but those two letters don't necessarily mean anything to me um there might be like a science connection that goes towards uh, you know, like measurement of time and velocity mm. or like time and arcs or something like that that we maybe are missing. So I have a theory. Okay, lay it on me. I don't think we should go too far into it. Um, <laughs> because. Is this spoiler zone territory? Potentially. Do we need to drop the gray dick? Yeah, drop the great dick. Or gray the great dick. dick. <laughs>
<laughs> Drop the gray dick. Okay, fast forward. Like, hit your little fast forward, like, 30 seconds. So, like, it's... A, okay. People, are you are you out of here? Go. Get out of here. I'm going to talk about a spoiler. All right. Here I go. I'm going to do it now. <laughs> it's a circle. Time is a circle. Eternity. Now. On the same circle. They meet in the same place. Okay. That, yeah, yeah. The wheel of car. I mean... Time is a flat circle. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. Like, I think that's kind of one of those little sort of like metaphors along the way. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. All okay. right. All right. Cool. Spoiler over. If you've got to hear, we're done with the spoilers now. But that w- that's my interpretation of that that engraving. All right. Um, I think that is everything I had for this section. Okay. So one thing I don't want to drop before we move on is that uh, we also find out that she was of the Manny folk. Yes. And that she like basically separated from the Manny to marry um, her husband. Mm -hmm. And that when Roland recognizes her as a hunter, he realizes that she probably would have never fit in in the Manny because they are not the type of folks that are um, like warrior-esque or like hunter-esque. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. They're like low-key pacifists. And she's like, there's this moment where after like she's shown Roland her skills and like she thinks maybe Roland might be um, making fun of her, so to speak. Uh, Roland like holds her hand tightly and like calms her down. And then she's like, um, tell them, you know, I saw you talking to him. If you talk to him again, tell him I am happy with my heathen husband mm-hmm. and my heathen life. And like, that's sort of like a, an interesting side prospect is that like the Manny did seem like they're isolated and separate from the rest of the group. And like, then to realize that like, no, every once in a while, like star cross lovers, she actually chose to like go live in this demeaning society where like women are treated less equal because she loves her husband and like wanted to have kids. It's it's sort of um, an interesting mix. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, this whole section I think is really interesting because we haven't gotten a ton about the Manny. And like you said, we're learning a little bit more about like sort of there's some occasional cross pollination, but I almost kind of imagined the Manny not so much as a community with like men and women and children as I did just sort of like an order of weird like monks. So that was (laughs) totally new to me. But the other thing is we saw Roland talking to someone like some gray beard at um, at the party, but it was Eddie's perspective. So we didn't ever get to see like what the conversation was. And here we start to get our first hints of mm-hmm. what they talked about and there is obviously we find out the guy's name is Henchick, who apparently is maybe the leader or someone in the group mm-hmm. and that that margaret is their child but they all we also learn about something called the doorway cave that's the first mention of that well the doorway okay yes yes you're absolutely right um the the doorway cave like when she's upset she, she's like uh you know oh, what do you mean to do drive us to the doorway cave and like this is like sort of a realization that she knows other worlds exist. Yeah. I mean, it sounds to me like she doesn't just know they exist, but maybe she's walked. There's a doorway cave. (laughs) Cause I don't think we've heard this before. Uh, 
you know what it might have been me just putting my own knowledge on this but like i was immediately just like oh yeah yeah well she was manny so they walk the world so like we know that but i i mean i what i'm saying is i i like now we're seeing maybe there is like a there is a we know that they have to get across and they're thinking toe dash is the way to do it by way of black 13 that feels very scary and un- and um unreliable and sinister. Mm-hmm. If there is an alternate route that the Manny know about, that feels like important information. Uh yeah. Yeah. And there's also a moment we kind of glazed over where Roland in his excitement about this weapon is like he thought he was going to have to smuggle guns back from New York. Yeah, I like I like how he's just like, oh god, I already have enough to do over there. I don't want to run another errand. Yep, exactly. <laughs> like, that's my energy on the weekend for sure. <laughs> so for sure. The other fun bit is like right before Roland like unveils his plan or or quote unquote plan, he like grabs the farmhands that were watching this and he's like, Hey guys, you uh you might be interested to gossip about this. Mm-hmm. He's like, um, Maybe you don't, or I murder you. <laughs> you yeah. get my drift? Yeah. Yeah. It might be sad if you had an unfortunate accident. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he makes sure to scare them. Even when Eisenhart's like, hey, 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 these are my employees. Like, chill out. Roland's like, no, no, no. I want you afraid of me. I want you to know I am serious. This is a threat on your life. And they're like, oh, shit. Yep. And then there's uh so Roland is like he asks where Andy's at, which is is um knowing and foreshadowing. And uh is like, all right, do you guys have like an office or something for your um stockyard? And like this is again something that like struck Nebraska home for me. If mm. you ever go to the Midwest, um a lot of the smaller towns that have uh cattle auctions they oh, will is have, that what it is? That what the stockyard office is? I didn't yes, yes. Know. So the way it works normally, it, and this isn't the case here, but it's cl- very close. Is that you'll have a stockyard office where you like um, will have the cattle auctions, and like everybody will register there and then go out to sit on like a little barn area or whatever, and like they'll bring in a cow and like the auction goes through. Um, but like the part that's extra for Nebraska is that. Those usually are tied to a restaurant that's right next to the stockyards so that everybody that as they're done bidding can like wander over to the restaurant section and like sit down and have like, you know, um, hash browns and eggs Mm. or like have the steak that they, you know, it's not really the steak that just walked through the auction, but it's like kind of makes you feel like you're you're there. And like I could almost smell the like cow fields and like breakfast mash mashup uh <laughs> go into like an auction house uh restaurant to like you know the cattlemen's or something like that and having like a, a big breakfast while the auctions are going on on the the right hand side of you and like the next next hallway over um so so this is like perfect and he calls them over they go to this building and like roland's like gets out this map and he's like all right i got a plan and <laughs> The funny thing is, like, Roland's, like, internally talking about, like, how there's got to be some way that everybody knows. He asks about Andy, and one of the the questions that sort of, like, gets eased and dropped through this chapter is, like, uh, hey, have you ever thought about what Andy does? Like, does he ever – does he do anything to fight with anything? Or, like, can you get him to do all these tasks? And, like, we find out that 
no. In fact, there's some things that Andy won't do for him. Um, and, and Roland's like, well, is is it weird to you that uh, he might tell you about um, when the wolves are coming, but he won't tell you anything about the wolves? And they're like, well, oh, never thought of that. And Roland's like kind of disappointed that they're not that sharp on this particular topic. And like Roland's like, and you ever you ever wonder like when he was built? And like Eisenhower's like, oh, he's definitely built a long time ago, right? Um, you know, two thousand years ago. And like, like Roland's like, well, that's two thousand years before the wolves showed up. Mm-hmm. So how is it that he's aware of the wolves and when they're coming um, and won't tell you much about them if they didn't show up until now? And like the lamest answer is basically like, well, uh, you know, uh, maybe, maybe, um, maybe there was something like the wolves back when Andy was built. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Have you really thought about that? Cause that well, what's interesting. He says like, is that really the best answer that you can come up with? Which I, I, I'm trying to figure out cause Roland, it's quite clear that Roland feels like there's a mole in their midst. Right. Yes. And I'm trying to figure out if that means he is suspicious of Slightman or if he's just like unimpressed with his lack of imagination or, or ability to like logic through the situation. But Definitely. I kind of feel like maybe he is a little suspicious of him. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's kind of like a, a big underlier that we need to make sure and talk about. So we did good. Good job us. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, everything that he's doing in this moment, like with the, with the ranch hands and it's all about basically it's, it's becoming increasingly clear. He does either, he doesn't trust Andy and he thinks that there's a mole in their midst and it's almost like this, you know, parlor room mystery of like everyone's a suspect well and you get this moment where like roland like we we talked about earlier where roland felt like so he's sort of being isolated because you can't tell this person without worrying that they will spread it to this other person and you can't tell this person because they are in this way and gonna have the baby and you can't tell this person because and it it rolls around to the point where like roland's like i'm the only one who can know this right now yeah and so as he lays out his plan it's like here's the map um here's this cave that you were just talking about and it's a like sort of a eyebolt canyon situation all over again where um if you can drive them into this spot and there's even a moment where stephen king's like um you know if if a plan served you well before (laughs) you tend to go back to that plan because Mm -hmm. you know it's a good meal um and, and so roland explains this to him and like they're like, oh, that could work. And, like, it's awful dark of you to use our kids as bait. And like, right. you know, these are dark times. What do you want? And, like, secretly inside, Roland's like, at some point I'm going to actually need to tell someone so they can help me get these kids to somewhere, anywhere besides that, <laughs> that place. Right. But, like, dropping that hint that that's where he might go with the plan is also this thing where it's like, okay, now I have put the word out that they may believe that that's where – we're going with these things and that belief could trap them in a different way than just the actual, because they maybe plan to get the kids from that spot. Mm-hmm. And this also like all underlines the fact that the folks in this area believe that the wolves just know where the kids are and have always been able to find them. But that's an interesting uh, dichotomy because how would they be tracking their kids? Right. Without a spy or someone who like can tell them where they're at or or, or an Andy. Mm-hmm. That scene where Andy is walking from the house and he's just and his eyes are just like sweeping back and forth. Yep. It's so ominous. It's so ominous. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the pieces are coming together here in a way. I, it's it's interesting that Roland is not only 
not telling his kata he's he's clearly not showing his hand to us as the readers as well you know and it comes back to this thing where he is his stuff is so obscured we didn't even see his conversation with the manny Mm -hmm. um I don't know. I also am not totally convinced that he doesn't need, he can talk, he can't talk to his cotet. I feel like that is a mistake. We'll see what happens, but it feels him isolating himself from his cotet right now feels like a bad idea. And it, it replicates the same dynamic that he had in wolves of, uh, uh, sorry, wizard and glass where he just, he had a plan. He just wasn't telling Cuthbert and Elaine. And like that led to tensions and fighting and, potentially their downfall um and here he is all these years later in another quartet replicating it and to some degree it's understandable because Susanna is not reliable right now you know she's not all there but that's just one of the many layers of 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 you know lies by omission that are occurring right now Mm -hmm. Uh, and the fact that nobody's picking up on it tells you that there's you know like it's impacting their kef so that's not great. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think of this section or this chapter? No, it's pretty good. Um, a lot of at first when I went through it, I didn't think there was a lot to talk about, and then here we are Once an hour again. later, and I was able to like needle out a bunch of things that I thought were actually fairly important. Yeah. Um, overall, it's good. I'm not as big on the like s- storytelling, slow paced stuff. I did like the Great Dick story. I wish this whole chapter was just more gray dick stuff but like yeah um but yeah it, it's good and then like i think it's just reinforced our previous suspicions that andy no good andy up to no damn good i mm-hmm. agree yeah i actually really liked this section i really like margaret i love the introduction of these oriza plates that i like this idea of him fighting alongside all these like amazing warrior women that are fully like under underappreciated and like uh, underestimated in this way i think that's really cool i like the i mean i love the lady oriza story is awesome yeah i really liked the section actually <laughs> pretty much all of it i was like yeah 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 there's good character stuff um there's some frustrating role and stuff which i you know love to hate um so yeah this was a great great section all right for those of you who are reading along with us at home, our next episode, we're going to be covering all of Chapter 6, Grandpa's Tale, which I assume means we're going to catch up with Susanna and Eddie, who have been sent over to that other house to find out the story from Grandpa, because Grandpa has been around for a while and he knows things. So, so that will be what we are covering. All right. Uh, I don't have any connections or news, so we can go right into our listener question. Last time I asked everybody, I told you I have a friend who is willing to give Stephen King a try, but she is like a beach reader. She likes things to be light, easy, accessible, not too much of a commitment. Um, So I wanted to know from you guys, what is your best recommendation for a Stephen King beach read? Now, DJ, do you need a minute or do you want to pass? No, nah, this it? one's okay. super easy, actually. Okay, okay. What's your what's your Stephen King? Uh, so one of my favorite um, weird Stephen King things that's like kind of out of the blue from like the rest of Stephen King universe, and also a fairly short book. I think it's only like three hundred pages. Is the Long Walk, mm. and the Long Walk as a whole is probably one of his more clever stories but also not something that is going to beat you up on a beach read because, 
you know, three hours in the afternoon or morning when you're hanging out on the beach over the course of like a, a couple of the days, you can easily pound through this book. It's also like a riveting book. It's interesting and it's action packed in a way that like keeps you suspenseful throughout the book. Um, whereas some of Stephen King's properties are long and have um, ups and downs that may not be the sort of thing that would be a first read uh, approach for someone who is like beach reading. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good answer. Definitely. Definitely. For me, I'm going to go with and this is because of I don't I actually don't remember how long it is. But this is like to me a perfect beach read because of subject matter. And that is Rose Matter, which is the one about a woman who's like escaped her because it's a little pulpy, you know, and then it gets all weird and Stephen Kingy. It's about a woman who's like escaped her abusive cop husband and mm -hmm. gone into hiding and then she finds this painting that she can actually go into and then her husband kind of follows her in there and because you know like it's it's to me kind of has that kind of beach reedy vibe and uh, i know it's like i don't feel like a lot of people either have read it or that it's like super highly regarded but i found it to be incredible incredibly page turning i loved it when i read it it's so weird and it, it like i said it has like a pulpiness to it that i think makes for a perfect light beach read all right so those are our picks let's see what the listeners think all right our first one comes from sarah my co-host on the zombie girls actually she suggests now this is not a this is not a short story but it is a very engaging one which is needful things have you ever read that or what? Seen that movie? Yeah, yeah I, I'm very aware of the devil running a pawn shop. <laughs> I mean, I guess her and I are on the same page to some degree because, like the the pawn shop, I think is or maybe it's a thrift store where Rose finds her her um, painting. All right, Tim says I'm going to go off the definition of quote unquote beach read as something that will keep me engaged that I won't but I won't get so engaged as to let it get in the way of my trip. That's a really good point, Tim. That is a really good point. I'd say any of the Bachman books except for Rage because bleh, uh, <laughs> something like The Running Man. Excellent. Oh, you'll like this. Thinner. Oh, yeah. Thinner's good. Thinner is good. Uh, would be perfect. And if I recall, it's pretty short. Yeah, I almost went with Thinner as my pick, but the problem with Thinner is that um, it gets to the point where it sort of sucks you in and you got to, like, keep going. Yeah, and I felt I like it true. might be too much for a beach read. Yeah, 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 that's fair. That's fair. Um, let's now see here. I, I, Would be a perfect pickup um, to end put down at my leisure. That said, I totally read The Wastelands on an overseas trip 18 years ago, and it was, in fact on a beach <laughs> i bet like imagine reading the wastelands and like how just like messed up and gross that place is and you're just like sitting on a beautiful beach it's very ironic okay i'm wrong thinner is actually shorter than uh than the long walk oh yeah so um yeah that would actually be perfect i think thinner is the is the current winner right now. Okay. We have a, a remix. Thinner, I thinner like chicken dinner. <laughs> I will. You can have all the chicken dinners you want, but you are cursed, my friend. <laughs> um, okay. John says, I was looking for a book to read for my beach slash camping trip and picked up The Wastelands, not realizing it was part of a series. Oh, I'm getting a pattern here. 
<laughs> I decided to read it anyway. And that's how I got started on my first trip to the tower. I went back and read books one and two and had a long wait until Wizard and Glass. You know what? I would actually say the gunslinger's kind of a perfect beach read. It's weird. It's it's short. It's like you can pick it up and put it down. Yeah, and I guess like that one's one that actually, even though it's expanded later on, has like a beginning, middle, and an end that allows you to just like drop off. Yeah, although you won't want to because you got to get you got to get to the lobstrosities. <laughs> All right, so Bridget says the girl who loved Tom Gordon. I thought about that one actually. That was my my next like because it's shorter, uh, and it is kind of like almost like a fable. Um, and you'd be on a beach and not in the woods, which would be a very scary place to read it. Have you ever read that one about the girl who's like being hunted by the bear? No, never mm. read that one. I'm looking yeah, at half the of these one... Stephen King novels and realizing that like I've only probably read 25% of Stephen King stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there. 25% of that list is still an impressive number of books. Um, it's the one like it's like there's a reference to Shardick in it. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, like, it's, yeah, like, I back when we covered Shardick, I read you a, a section of that, but that was a long time ago. Um, her other selection, now, this is a longer novel, but one of my very favorites, which is Bag of Bones, which is the ghost story. Mm, nope, never it's, read that one either. Oh, it's so good, DJ. It's so good. <laughs> it's, like, about these Civil War ghosts. I know it doesn't sound super appealing, but it is... It's one of my all-time favorites. I, I thought at novels. first you said Civil War goats, and I was like, that sounds actually hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me more about the Civil War goats. <laughs> and then John says, I was originally going to say Duma Keys, another favorite of mine. And like whenever people ask me what the most underrest- like, uh, uh, like underappreciated Stephen King novel is, I always recommend Duma Key. Uh, but you said keep it short. So I'd say The Colorado Kid. Oh, that's a good idea. Like any of his sort of like you know, pop, pop, what are those called? Not pop boilers. Hard boiled, uh, hard boiled. Yeah. Any of his hard boiled novels, I think would be a great beach read. Like Joyland is another really good one. Yeah. Or what's the one that he just put out? Um, uh, like the, um, the like one that's question. just a date title. Is that like the no. one about JFK or whatever? No, that one's really good too. But no, what's the one? It, it was really for mil- later, later, later would be a good beach read. Because it's pretty short and it's pretty good. It's about the like the kid that it's like about a psychic kid. Another one. <laughs> yeah. This one. No, this one's interesting though because it's it's like I said, it's one of his hard boiled ones, and it's like a very small, self contained first person account, and it has like really cool connections to it. That's actually a good like starter Stephen King, to be honest, because it'll also like suck you into the multiverse a little bit. I okay, feel like we- Stephen King could just like milk his other properties by like tying in with those properties because he has so many different things and people who loved that one will be like oh there's a mention of this i guess i'm reading the whole book okay yeah Uh, and it works it works like those connections are very like yeah when you catch them you feel like a genius okay (laughs) all right we got two emails all right so let's see here all right so brianna says later ha (laughs) i guess we're on the same page later uh it's one of his hard case crime novellas once i started i couldn't put it down super fast read super light creepy vibes great introductory king story yes agree yes yes agree so much oh my gosh that's awesome okay uh so dave says this last one 
Hello, Dave, your resident gun nerd again. <laughs> he said the Bachman stuff came to mind immediately. The long walk and the running man in particular. Nice. Short, intense, and most assuredly page turners. The only issue I could foresee is they are not really horror type books. I don't know. The long walk to me is pretty horror. Like when the their feet start being it, like because like someone wears tennis shoes instead of hiking boots or vice versa and they start getting all the blisters and mm -hmm. stuff Ooh, the attrition of that is so intense another that came to mind was the short story night surf from night shift uh as is most likely obvious it is my favorite i did name my band after it night surf yet another shameless <laughs> plug short very gripping and uh in your if your friend is into it a great uh and great into the Entry into the stand. So I've never read Night Surf or Night, Sh Night Shift. Night Shift. Yeah. Night Surf from Night Shift. So I think Night Surf is a short that's in the Night Shift novel or uh -oh. Night Shift anthology. Is it? Okay. Uh oh. Uh oh. DJ's falling asleep. Let's wrap it up. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. As to which Night Surf song to be included on the Vampire Hunting playlist. Oh, that's right. I need to get that in the. Stay tuned. It's coming. Um, I believe Watch off my record, The Becoming, fits the bill. It's based on the drawing of Dr. Le Dr. Lecter shows when he describes Declarys in the book, The Silence of the Lambs. It was not in the film. Thank you for including my music and shouting me out on the air. Of course, Night Surf, everybody. Get into it. You'll, you'll thank me later. <laughs> All right. So that is it for this question. Um, I don't have a question for the next episode yet, unless you have an idea, Deej. I got nothing. You got nothing? Okay. Well, I will think of something and I will put it um I will put it on the Facebook page <laughs> when I come up with it. It's been a week. It's been a week. And next week is gonna be even crazier. I have junkets every day next week. How are you gonna get by? I'm dying here. Uh how are you how are you gonna get by? That's like I I don't know how you find time to do life. Honestly, your work sounds very tiring. <laughs> You might be due for a job change, FYI. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, cool. So that is it for this episode. Like I said, be sure to join the Facebook group so that you can see that question when it comes up. I appreciate our listeners so much. Everybody who comes out and answers these questions, it's always so much fun to pick your brain like, and to, to be in the Stephen King hive mind is a beautiful place to be. So thank you, everyone, for your thoughtful, awesome answers as always. So, ways to get a hold of us. Obviously, there's a Facebook group. That is a very, very easy way. But not everybody's on Facebook. I get it. I totally get it. Political objections, just a desire to avoid that crap. I get it. But in that case, what you'll want to do is email us. You can email us at castofclaw at zombiegirls.com. Or uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at ZGPodcastPlural. If you are enjoying the show, we ask you to do us a huge favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your pods. If you're looking for something scary to watch tonight because you're a horror fan, I mean, you're a Stephen King reader. Chances are you like a little bit of horror, right? I mean, I get that this is fantasy, sci-fi, you know, but, you know, it's King. So there's some horror in there, too. You should check out our video on demand and streaming calendar at zombiegirls.com. That's G-R-R-L-Z dot com, where we keep track of all the spooky doings that are happening on all the millions of streaming services and VOD platforms out there. A new one got announced this week. Another streaming platform? 
Yes. There's so many DJ, you have no idea. Ugh. Um, and like all of them have exclusive stuff. So you're unless you're, you know, like you gotta you gotta look at the calendar, or you're gonna miss out. Um, and if you wanna support us with some merch. We have merch. You can check that out at zombiegirls.com forward slash merch where you can get t-shirts and all that kind of cool stuff. And then the last thing you can do if you want to support us is we have, of course, a Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash zombiegirls where you get bonus episodes, extended episodes. You can join our Discord. Um, there's other stuff we have planned. Uh, you get live shows. You get to see like me and DJ doing this live on <laughs> camera on camera and we got oh my gosh DJ I have got us a new software that it's oh I guess it's not really a software like I signed up for this new service that okay. is going to like solve all of our live show issues that we've had like it is exactly what we needed I'll send you a link you'll be in it like you'll just come on into the call like everything's integrated into it the music the videos all that kind of stuff so none of this we're starting at six and then starting at eight and by then Randy's ready to murder me (laughs) 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 like it's gonna be so much so much easier to do live shows and and so that means more live shows for you guys but only if you're a patron Mm -hmm. or a, a patron not a patreon uh, all right. So that is it. Where, DJ, if they need more of you in their life, can they find you? Um, obviously, you can uh, check out Outpost Unknown. I think that's mm-hmm. what it's called. Uh, you yes. can also swing over to the Discord and see me posting pictures of my dogs and projects that I work on on a regular basis. Um, you can also go watch years past YouTube videos if you want to learn how to make rap beats or do camera stuff or what have you um, or hack things. Uh, that, that all exists for years and years um otherwise i am very unexciting these days mostly just playing um once a week in a little band thing and uh building stuff but uh that's it for me rachel where can people find you well you can find me all over the internet my friends thank you (laughs) You for filling in where i left off no worries you can follow or you can obviously check out outpost unknown we've got a ton of content on there our steve castle are continue to blow up people love that ninja content i didn't realize how many people wanted to hear us talk about ninja but uh there's lots of fun stuff over there that i'm not on as well that you should check out you can also find me on all the podcasts on the zombie girls network including the zombie girls uh, stream queens more deadly and uh, occasionally the untitled nick cage show so lots and lots and lots of ways to enjoy me also occasionally i pop up on bloody good horror as well as trick-or-treat radio and uh here's johnny so yeah and then, and then there's a lot of stuff for my work but you guys don't care about that <laughs> <laughs> so that is how you can find me on the internet you can follow us on instagram and twitter at zg podcast if you want to follow me i'm at Rachie pants all right DJ, on that note, unless people are sticking around for that awesome extended episode where you're going to tell me all the Freemason stuff, <laughs> take us out. I think you might be setting the bar too high for that Freemason talk. I just uh, <laughs> uh, always have an eye roll for Freemasons, but we'll cover that in the post show. Uh, on that note, guys, uh, you are always welcome to close your eyes. Imagine that you are that silver ball from Phantasmagoria. <laughs> And you're flying through people, and you cut the neck off, but you stop to back up and just look at their penis, and you fall (laughs) over. Good night. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. That was weird. That was weird, but I liked it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and to my co-host, DJ, for making me laugh, and for indulging all of my tinfoil hat conspiracies. 
production on this episode was done by yours truly. Our theme song for the show was created by DJ. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the extended episode. All right, DJ, you have teased it. You have set it up. You have you have made us wait. Oh no, this is going to be very disappointing now that you've put this, this much is, weight on it. Uh, you have explained that this is epic and life changing. No, no, it isn't. It's and real... the greatest story ever told. Everyone, shh. No, this is going to be very shh. not that. Be quiet. Let him talk. It's mostly the just if you go research the Freemasons, you'll find out that there's nothing crazy or conspiratorial about them. That they're very boring and like hardly were in charge of anything they were just like a, a trade union <laughs> that's what they want you to believe <laughs> i mean that is that's literally what they were and then like in the 1900s and 1800s people started like aspiring to it because they had like a kind of creepy logo that had like a, a sexton and then someone put an eye in it and like before long we're running around with eyes on stuff and like triangles and and then you know uh that movie about um the guy who finds a little tube that has the secret thing that Jesus' lineage is still alive and like you're like what and then they just all hung that on something weird that like was obscure and no one knew about but really was not that menacing or evil or anything weird at all so that's all i had on the freemasons is it's just like really like we've really built a lot on like a very poorly constructed cornerstone here we, we could have picked anything else like anything obscure or really cornerstone, weird. interesting choice of words <laughs> i know i think I... maybe you're a part of the misinformation campaign <laughs> <laughs> and you messed up you slipped up but we're on to you now <laughs> you know as a conspiracy as a non-conspiracy person I can tell you that when someone loses one conspiracy, they will just search and hunt for another one. Currently in my state, because they were unable to find any of un irregularities with like voting stuff, they're now going after the computer uh, systems that monitor for hacking, saying that those may, in fact, be secret ways for big government to take over oh your soul. And it's, it's, it's just it's like... It's this constant battle of like, what weird thing can I point at next and be like, what about that? I'm just asking questions here. Well, I feel very attacked. <laughs> when I went to that uh, that cemetery in Ferndale, you've been there, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I love Ferndale. Okay, so that cemetery is like a Freemason cemetery. Okay. I don't know if you notice that. So, like, if you go up there, there's like all these gravestones. Yeah, you like, go like it's star. got the hill on one side, and like yes. kind of walk through that trail in the middle, and it sort of slants up in both directions. And then there's yeah. like a cute kids park right next to it for some reason. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. But if you go up there and you look at all the plaques and stuff, like they're all Freemasons in there. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of uh, family business. <laughs> well, I don't know what to tell you. I feel like this is definitely conspiracy. All right, I have pulled up. The History Channel information about things you, seven things you may not know about Freemasons. Uh-oh. And we all know that the History Channel is nothing but... Home of Ancient Aliens is nothing but the facts. <laughs> okay? So, all right. Yes. Freemasons are the oldest fraternal organization in the world. Um, that It began during the Middle Ages in Europe as a guild of skilled builders. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, a trade union. So, while not a secret society per se, it does have secret passwords and rituals that originate from the medieval guilds. Um, in the original guild, there were three stages. Apprentice, 
Fellowcraft and Master Masons. Hmm? <laughs> what is this? What is that's how it works now? If you're a you're, you're a, a tool runner, you're an apprentice, and mm. then you're an electrician, and you're a master electrician. That sounds like a conspiracy to me. It goes all the way to the top to something called the government. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Two Freemason symbols aren't what you think. Freemasons have a long, uh, long community. Sorry, have long communicated using visual symbols drawn from the tools of stone masonry. The all-seeing eye or the eye of providence, while not designed by the masons, has been used by the group to represent the omniscience of God. It was tacked on later on to a sextant. Uh, Let's see here. The G at its symbol... Uh, at its center remains a subject of dispute. Some experts at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, for example, <laughs> believe the G in the symbol uh, represents geometry, a critical field in the first Freemasons, while others believe it represents God, the grand architect of the universe. <laughs> yeah, I like that when you say the end thing, you exclaim it so that it <laughs> makes it seem like it's probably more important than it really is. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> 